For those of us that love to read, we can all think of the book that got us addicted to reading. My love for reading was born at a young age, thanks in most part to my aunt and my mom. My aunt would give me a new book nearly every time she saw me, and my mom would read to me every single night as a child. I still remember the first chapter book we read together, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was in fourth grade when we first entered Narnia, and while some parts of the book scared me, I mean, the White Witch was awfully mean and the sacrifice of Aslan was pretty graphic, I still remember begging my mom to read just one more page before turning off the light. I've always been a fan of fantasy books. I think that's because they take me into a world that I know isn't real, and my imagination is set free to create the images of a world beyond my own. But not every story is like that, and not every reader falls in love with books like I did. Sometimes it takes longer for one to find that love for reading. Maybe a bit of maturity is needed to fall in love with the words that are written across the page. Sometimes it takes the right person introducing you to the right book. I think that's why I love teaching English so much. I love the moment when a reluctant reader would beg to read one more page before dismissal. Or when I'd suggest a book on library day, and two days later that student would be back with a finished book and they had found that love for reading. I saw that love for reading reignited in several of my high school friends by my English teacher. Some of the stories we read in her class were imaginative, but most were so realistic that we often wondered if those sets of events might happen to us one day. I know as we read The Great Gatsby, my teacher watched a room full of students fall in love with reading again. And it's because while I was researching, I discovered that the man in today's case was the model for one of those characters in The Great Gatsby that we fell in love with that year in English class, that I knew I needed to cover this story. This is the story of Joseph Bound Elwell. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. And Allison, I know you're going to be excited to hear the coverage of this case because I'm so excited you love the great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah you taught it and you love yes. it and didn't we talk about this on patreon not long ago oh yeah well we did we've talked about books a lot on patreon but yes i love the great gatsby excellent oh, this has book. kind of inspired me to reread it because i don't think i've read it like i mentioned before either here or in patreon that i've read it since college so kind of want to reread it now yeah students always love it too so i'm curious which character from the great gatsby this joseph l well is the inspiration for oh you'll know like as soon as i start talking about him okay yeah it's not gonna take a lot of guesswork <laughs> okay <laughs> And, like, as we walk through what happened to, he was known as JB by most of his friends. Um, I'm anxious to see what similarities we can pick up on between him and the character in the book. Okay. So, typically, we begin each show by introducing the person at the center of the case. We talk about maybe their family's favorite memory of them or, you know, things that they did. But we are still going to do that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I actually wanted to start by giving a brief synopsis of The Great Gatsby, since I know that we'll probably be talking about it a little bit. Right. Um, and since some of our listeners may not have read the book before, I kind of wanted to just go into briefly what The Great Gatsby is about. Okay. And you can help me fill in any blanks, because you probably read it more recently than I have. <laughs> that sounds good. 
So, The Great Gatsby is a classic novel that was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. I would probably say one of his most popular works, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would agree. And it was first published in 1925. So, we're set in the 1920s era, the Roaring Twenties, and it is very much stereotypical of that time period. Yeah. And so, the novel explores themes like wealth, social class, the American dream is a big theme that's throughout the novel. And the story itself is narrated by Nick Carraway. And he is a young man who moves to Long Island's North Shore and becomes drawn into the world of the wealthy and the elite. Because isn't he neighbors with Mr. Gatsby? Yeah, he he's living in a house that is near Jay Gatsby. And he's kind of in the circle. They know the same people. Because yeah. he's a relative of one of the other characters. And Jay Gatsby is this kind of mysterious mm-hmm. new money millionaire. He's not yeah. from old money, which is an issue that comes up in the book. But he's known for hosting extravagant parties. And Jay Gatsby is really deeply in love with Nick's cousin, Daisy Buchanan. And she yes. lives across the bay with her husband tom and they are old money yes tom is old money and he is not a good guy no and he's a cheater it's just such the whole thing (laughs) have you seen wolf of wall street because the whole book kind of reminds me of that a little bit yeah and as the story unfolds it becomes clear that gatsby's lavish parties are a way for him to reconnect with daisy because at one point they had met before he went to fight in world war ii but while he was gone daisy married tom buchanan mainly because she needed the financial stability and so gatsby enlists the help of nick to orchestrate a reunion between him and daisy and their love rekindles and then jay gatsby becomes determined to win daisy back from tom and so there's tension between gatsby daisy and tom and it escalates leading to some tragic consequences. Yes. And through the characters and their interactions, the novel examines like emptiness and this moral decay beneath a glittering facade of the wealthy class. Right. And this illusion of the American dream where the pursuit of wealth and success often leads to tragedy. So, you know, we have again, all of those themes of unobtainable desires, the corruption of wealth, the complexities of human relationships. So it is just a pretty good book that examines things like materialism, social Mm -hmm. stratification. It's a good, it's a good one. So with that in mind, let's meet Joseph Elwell. Okay. Who is at the center of today's case. According to cold cases, famous unsolved mysteries, crimes and disappearances in America before Joseph became the Joseph that we're going to talk about today. He was the son of Joseph E. Elwell. Okay. That must be a family. He was once a student at Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts. And he actually, at one point, worked as an insurance agent as a teenager. Okay. So, JB, as he was called, learned a new card game called Bridge. Oh, okay. And his version of Bridge, we now call bridge whist or straight bridge to distinguish it from versions that came later i didn't know there were different versions i've heard of bridge i've never played it bridge never played it there were different versions of it though i think i have family members that belong to like a bridge league but i've never played it there you go and he apparently um, established this love for bridge when he was building a young men's club in his church and or attending a young men's club at church and that card game was a popular activity so he picked that up through this men's club okay and his fascination with the card game took over his life as you'll soon see um like we talked about i really have no clue what bridge is but for the wandering mind, I did Google Bridge Whist or Straight Bridge is a popular card game that was 
at the height of its popularity in the 20th century. And it's derived from Whist, which is another game. Okay. But it has additional This all sounds rules. very British. <laughs> yeah. And players take turns as like a dummy. And the Trump suit would be deliberately chosen. And each dealer, like, you have the option to have that or not. And each deal is like kind of, I don't know. It was weird. So if you know what it is and can explain it to us. Please let us know. Yeah, please do. (laughs) But J.B. married a woman named Helen Derby, who also played the game Bridge. And she was actually very well socially connected. And this is kind of where um, we see his social game start to flourish. Her cousin, Richard Derby, was the husband of Ethel Roosevelt. And when I was doing my research, I was like, Ooh, Ethel Roosevelt. That like it the research made it sound so important. Yeah. And so I Googled it and that's Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. So she is kind of a big deal. Okay. Yeah. At first so now I think I'm gonna guess that JB is like Gatsby himself Mm -hmm. if he's interested in Helen Derby, who has established connections. Yeah. Shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. And the similarities don't stop there between him and Jay Gatsby. He gained through his relationship with Helen and Ethel Roosevelt, other social connections. So his bridge partner was actually a Vanderbilt, Harold oh. Vanderbilt. Oh. And according Big to money. bridge, old yeah. money. <laughs> talk, let's talk about old money. Yeah. <laughs> And according to Bridgebum, he actually developed a reputation in New York's money clubs as a consistent bridge winner. Um, he actually went on to write books about the game of bridge. Oh, so yeah. he must have been good then if people are like, I'm going to buy this guy's book on bridge. Yeah. And because he had such affluent connections, you know, the Roosevelt's and the Vanderbilt's, um, he had a lot of well-paying students that he taught to play bridge he was given some investment opportunities he um, dabbled in stocks he also um, was a pretty good gambler and because of that he became wealthy enough to ultimately own property in palm beach florida he had 20 horses five cars and a yacht Okay, so I'm again getting the connection. So new money. He's getting it through means other than hard work. Yeah. Right. Um, And, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about how funny it is and ironic, I guess, with cards or gambling that if you did something like poker back then now you've got you know world series of poker and you know it's everywhere but back then i bet poker was more of like the rascally rowdy crowd Mm -hmm. but it's okay to play and gamble on bridge because that's more uppity so i mean he's definitely been able to move his way up in the world then it sounds like yeah and he was really successful you know, not only just at the bridge table, but just in several aspects of his life. So remember, he's married to Helen. Uh But as his success at the bridge table soared, so did his success in other sensual aspects of his life, if you know what I mean. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. He was definitely... A ladies man and his secretary would later say that he had sex with quote about 50 women most <gasps> of them married but then i read in some of my research that one estimates of his conquests go as high as a thousand women a thousand yeah he was a busy man oh my now that is not like jay gatsby that's more like Daisy's husband, Tom. Yeah, Tom. But, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And this comes into play later, but I'm assuming he had maybe a few favorites, and those um, companions had keys to his home. <gasps> that is bold. Yeah. That is 
bold. So yeah. not only is he having affairs and cheating on his wife, he's giving some of these women keys to his home that he shares with Helen. Well, I don't know if it was while he was still with Helen because they do separate in 1916. Because she probably found or, out about all this stuff. Oh, I'm sure. So I don't know if it came after that or before that. But mm. yeah, some people, some ladies had keys to his home and one Free of his entrance. Friends, yeah, into, I'm assuming, what was probably a mansion. Yeah. And one of his friends, L.H. Green, said of his good friend, J.B., quote, He was a man who exercised a remarkable influence over women. He was cold-blooded to an extreme, which instead of repelling his friends of the opposite sex, seemed to attract them all the more, end quote. Oh, so he's the hard-to-get guy who yeah, they like want to conquer. Yeah, the bad conquer. boy, kinda. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, um, JB's wife, Helen, in 1916, took their son, Richard, and filed for separation. And then by 1920, the two were negotiating divorce. So mm -hmm. they are separated for a while before right. the actual divorce yeah. part. And it does sound like, you know, because of this new newfound money, he does have kind of this faster lifestyle it's not yeah. the settled down with the family lifestyle yeah it's not the picket the white picket fence lifestyle no, that's for no. sure <laughs> definitely not yeah so success was good jb's life was good and then one day it just wasn't oh so we're gonna go back to the night before jb was found dead <gasps> okay so he's, well, I mean, I guess it was going a little bit downhill with the divorce, but then he's still got all these women and now he is gone. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, obviously I can't speak to their relationship, but how, uh, you know, upset he was that the marriage didn't work out. So I don't know if he really counted that as a, a blow. Yeah. yeah. But I bet he had a lot of enemies. That's going to be my guess. Well, we'll get there. Okay. So we're going to go back to that day. Okay. It was June 10th, 1920, and it was a very hot day in Manhattan. Okay. I would not have survived because did they have air conditioner in 1920? I don't think I so. I don't think I don't think so. Well, because of the weather on this hot day, many of upper society were seeking forms of entertainment that would allow them to remain inside and such was the goal of jb maybe because of the weather or maybe because it was the place to be uh -huh. jb had decided to spend the evening at the ritz carlton oh fancy i know with his newest love which was viola cross so wow he's there with her and Viola's sister and brother-in-law also joined them there at the Ritz-Carlton. So, super fancy time. Mm -hmm. And it was reported that the two of them drank pretty heavily before they left to go into the city to attend a show on the new Amsterdam's theater's rooftop. So, oh, okay. there was apparently like a kind of outdoor show on 42nd Street, which I'm sure by the time they left... The sun had gone down and it had cooled off. Right. Plus, if they were drinking, maybe they didn't mind it so much. Right. I just am not cut out for the heat. Mm -mm. Just tell you. Yeah. So now we're in the early morning hours of June 11th, 1920, when JB finally leaves the New Amsterdam and goes back to his home at West 70th Street. And he gets there around 1.30 in the morning. So we're just okay. early hours of the 11th. Okay. I wonder if that was fair. Oh, well, he was on 42nd Street. That's kind of a hike. If he's going mm -hmm. to 70th. If these are city blocks. I'm sure he probably had like a chauffeur. Oh, probably. So I don't think he like, you know, trekked that whole thing. Yeah, I was going to say that's a, that's a hike. <laughs> he has some really good calf muscles. There we go. <laughs> Phone calls made to the property suggest he arrives sometime around 2.30, so it still takes him a little while to get home. Mm -hmm. um, but we know that he made it there around that time because Viola had called and he had picked up oh, like okay. around that time at his home. Okay. 
And the phone calls did not stop there. Unlike, you know, you and I who would have been in bed hours before he even arrived yes. home. <laughs> yes. JB was still making calls at 4.30 in the morning on June 11th. What? What kind of yeah. phone calls? And he was, who is it up? It was weird ones. Right. Well, nobody answers. So he calls his stables in Far Rockaway at 4.30. And like I said, nobody picks up because yeah, they're it's asleep. 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. And knowing what we know that he does end up dead, there are many that wonder if maybe this call was one of urgency. Especially because more phone calls were made even after that. Oh, so it's almost like he wants to talk to somebody, but that's weird. Yeah. If just anybody will do. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say. We never, I don't, we have, to my knowledge, never found out what he was needing or why he was making these calls. Maybe he was just still drunk, and so... Yeah, maybe he's just calling the stable to be like, get my pony out. So right. I can come ride. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't realize it's 4.30. Exactly. He did make another call to a number in Garden City, New Jersey. And that was his last telephone interaction. And I believe that one happened around 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay. At 6.30 on June 11th, everything seemed fine. And we know this because the milkman made his morning delivery around 6.30 well, to nice. JB's house. I wish wish they would bring groceries. Yeah, bring the groceries to my door. It's not enough that I can order them on my computer and then just pull in to pick them up. I want you to bring them to me. Do you know you can do that? Well, I don't know. I know. I think we live too far out in the country. Yeah, but Walmart will deliver groceries, and Costco does. Fantastic. Good job, Walmart and Costco. So the milkman came by. Love that. Yeah. And the only thing that he really noted that was strange is the vestibule doors. So, kind of like the doors leading into the entryway, I guess, or where the main door would be, was open. But he said that when he sat the milk down and kind of peeked inside, that nothing seemed wrong. It just seemed like maybe the door had been left open. Hmm. JB was later seen between 7 and 7.30 picking up his morning newspaper, the mail, and the milk before heading back inside. So I'm assuming just, you know, popping his head out. So he was seen? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And but that time, that between 7 and 7.30 would be the last time anyone would see him alive again. Somebody has to be in the house with him. Oh, yeah. Well, there are things that happen and you're like, how is this possible? Because I'm assuming when he was seen, it was just long enough to like poke his head out, mm-hmm. bend down and pick those and oh, go right. back in. Like right. He wasn't standing on the front porch waving at people. Right. And we'll talk about why um, here in a little bit. But yeah, there's some things that happen and you're like, well, that's not what the milkman said. And so it kind of mm. makes you question. Around 9, Marie Larson, the housekeeper, unlocked the front door, ready to begin just her day of cleaning and breakfast duties. Unless the milkman, it's open, and let's say in a drunken stupor, JB didn't realize that he didn't close it. But when he comes to get the milk, he then closes closes and locks the door. And so when she gets there, it's locked. And that makes sense. But I hadn't even really put those, put that together. Hadn't put two and two together. And she did recall later that the uh, vestibule doors were closed when she got there. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're right. He just closed them when he went to pick up the mail. Mm -hmm. And according to the History Channel, she said nothing seemed amiss as she started her dusting and polishing. She said everything seemed to be fine. Well, and I feel like obviously had somebody, let's say, entered the home when he's coming out to get the milk or whatever, then you would think there would be a sign of struggle or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a picture knocked over or mm-hmm. anything. something wrong with the door. Yeah. As she made her way through the home, you know, everything was where it was supposed to be. That was until she came into the living room 
When she walked into the living room, Allison, she noted that JB was sitting in a chair facing away from the entrance of the room. I don't know if that was particularly odd. Like, I didn't read where she had said the chair had been moved or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But what was weird is when she calls out, you know, good morning, Mr. Elwell or whatever, he didn't say anything back. And she thought that was unusual because typically, you know, she spoke to him, he would talk back to her. Mm-hmm. And so she walks towards the chair to check to see if maybe he had just fallen asleep. Right. To see Something. if, you know, he, yeah. He's sick. But she was, uh, yeah, maybe he just has like, he drank too much and he's kind of hung over in the chair or something like that. But she was actually stunned by what she found. Instead of finding him napping in the chair, she found that her boss had been shot by a forty-five automatic. <gasps> the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Strangely, again, as reported by the History Channel, the man that she was looking at was barely recognizable. So she's used to seeing... You know, the sharp-dressed man. Right. He's a, a player, a ladies' man. So it looks suave. Yeah. Probably. I'm assuming from the description that she gave that she was used to coming in to work and him being that suave man. Mm-hmm. Put together. Yeah. But instead, he is wearing his pajamas He has the newspaper folded on his lap like he was reading it and then just, you know, kind of folded back the page, Mm -hmm. folded it down a little. He was not wearing his wig or his dentures. Oh. So he was both toothless and bald. This is a very different vision than what she is used to seeing, I am sure. And so I think she would be shocked even if he was just, you know, passed out in the chair to see him like that, let alone see him like that with that bullet hole in the middle oh, of his forehead. right. Oh, my gosh. Even more bizarre than that. The toothless, hairless... JB. Sex tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> was the fact that he was... He had been shot, remember, by this forty-five. Right. He was still breathing. He was still oh alive. Gosh. Shot in the forehead and he was still breathing? Yeah. So she immediately runs to try to get help. And she is able to contact someone. And he was rushed to Bellevue Hospital in just the faint hope that he might live. Wow. And, you know, this guy that is such a strategist because Bridge, I think, is really based on strategy and mm-hmm. could not escape this was one thing that he could not elude. Mm. And he did end up dying a few hours later. Wow. He was not able to speak. So he died without being able to reveal his killer. Oh, man. I was hoping maybe he could write something or give some yeah. sort of indication. But I'm sure that the trauma was too much to his body. 
and I don't even know if he was awake or just, right. you know, kind of in a coma and breathing. Right. But as you can imagine, the death of a popular upper society bridge expert spread like wildfire. And press flocked to his house at 70th Street. And then his death was clearly and obviously the dominating topic of most New York newspapers for pretty much June and July. And his story even made national news in 1920. Well, I mean, like you've you've kind of shown us, he was this public figure, very much so, this tycoon. Mm-hmm. And because of interest in his case, and it going national now, the New York Police Department did feel more pressure to get his case solved. And so they're looking at all the evidence and they go to inspect this crime scene. So if you guys are like me, then you probably thought that there would be signs of a struggle somewhere in the home, especially if he was shot in the forehead. That means he saw coming. He saw his killer. Yeah. 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 But if you thought that, like I did, we thought wrong. (laughs) Because there were no signs of a struggle in the living room. It appeared that JB was literally, had just like literally sat down to read the newspaper or to maybe sort his mail and maybe glanced up and was shot point blank in the forehead without blinking an eye. Now, I guess that could happen, right? Because I guess he could have the newspaper open. They're kind of big, so it blocks your view. And maybe he hears a noise and he folds the newspaper down. And boom, there the person is. Oh, yeah. Or if it's just completely unexpected. Like the person standing in front of him is someone who he would never have thought would harm him. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, before you can even register that they have a gun, they've already pulled the trigger. But blood spatter analysis suggested that the shot that killed him came from someone who was almost eye level with him. So they're either shooting from their hip, because remember he's in the chair, or they crouched down and were eye level with him when they shot him. Because the trajectory didn't appear to be someone firing down at a seated victim, but rather at eye level. That seems so much more creepy to me that they would squat down potentially. I don't see a lot of people shooting from the hip because I don't think you'd be very accurate. Yeah, I don't think you'd be very accurate that way. That's even more disturbing to to think that they crouched down. So they could yeah. look him in the eye while they did it's it. It's a little more sinister to me. A little more Definitely evil. Definitely is. You know, and if you're like me, then you may be thinking, okay, well, maybe this was suicide and mm-hmm. nobody was there at all. Could be. But again, we would be wrong in that thinking because... Well, if the maid didn't find a gun, then that can't be it. Well, there was, they did not find the 45 okay they also found a single bullet placed on the table in front of jb with like the empty cartridge or whatever located on the floor so the bullet did go through and they pick it up and they put it (gasps) on the table oh yeah well and like you said there is no gun present so I wish they had fingerprints back then. Well, I read that they did dust for fingerprints. I don't know. Obviously, it's probably not as I was not as accurate as it is. And they probably couldn't get it off of the bullet where the person picked it up. And we'll talk about what they find when they do that dusting. But along with the bullet, investigators also found a letter from JB Stable that was on the ground and covered in blood. I don't think the letter really had anything you know, amazing in it because I didn't read anywhere where the contents were really discussed. And I think if it was like, you know, you owe us a hundred thousand dollars. They would talk about that as a motive for something. Yeah. But there's no gun. So we have the bullet, but no gun. 
Right. And we have a smoked cigar nearby. And thanks to the maid, we know that the cigar came from JB's personal collection. We have a second smoked cigar near the mantelpiece. And so police were theorizing that perhaps JB and his killer had smoked a cigarette together before he was killed, which goes to what you said. Maybe it was somebody that he was really familiar with and just didn't see it coming until Uh it was too late. Maybe, though. I mean, maybe somebody was admiring. Did did JB, so he has obviously a cigar collection. Did he have a gun Mm -hmm. collection? Could this have been... An accident, like somebody's admiring a gun and they're kind of sling it, like twisting it around on their finger and they grab it and it goes off. Well, I know he had like a lot of art in his house and things like that. So he probably did. And, you know, that's a pretty good theory because then if they are crouched down kind of at eye level, maybe they were both looking at it together mm-hmm. and it was an accident. My dad always says that. Um, the most most deaths happen with what someone thinks is an unloaded gun. Right. And so maybe they were just both drunk and being silly and he was like, hey, I could shoot you in the forehead. And then like, he thinks it's empty, but it's really not. Yeah. So they, you know, they have all of this evidence, the pol- or not evidence, but this, these details. things to think about at the, yeah, details. And another detail that they kind of were hung up on is the vestibule doors because if you remember the milkman said they were open when he dropped the milk off at 7 30 the maid arrives and they're closed so they did inspect the doors but they had no evidence of tampering nobody picked a lock or anything like that all the windows were shut tight and they actually had you know iron bars over them no other odd reports other than the milkman saying the doors were open came in no one reported seeing anybody come into the house or out of the house that morning. So maybe you're right. Maybe they were in there already. They didn't need to force their way in. Right. I mean, it could have been, gosh, maybe one of the phone calls that he made. I, oh, mm-hmm. I'm sure we probably know where all of those went. But I mean, anybody could have shown up and, you know, even if it's just a socialite who knows where JB lives and they see his door open and they've been out drinking too. And, you know, he's always up for a good time. So they just decided to crash at his place. I mean, who knows? They could have came, even came home with him. Right. The Sacramento union reported quote on the table at his side were several letters, one of which from a racing associate had been removed from the envelope. The letters had been delivered by the postman at seven thirty-five. There was no weapon, no footprint, no evidence of a struggle, no plausible clue except a large caliber shell, such as is ejected from an automatic pistol of the army type and the stub of a cigarette different from those Elwell habitually smoked. But then in other sources, it said that it was the same one, which maybe the one he mm-hmm. smoked was was from his collection. And maybe the other one was one that the maid wasn't used to seeing. Definitely could be. You know, and like you mentioned, this case probably could have been different or would have been different, I think, if it would have happened today versus in 1920. Right. Because if there is a cigar there that isn't his, that would have DNA on it. Exactly. They did dust for fingerprints because, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this killer had to touch that casing to put that on the table. Right. But when they did dust fingerprints, the only ones that they really found were prints belonging to the housemaid and to JB. So prints that you would know would be in the house. Hmm. But then that makes people wonder... Was the killer very detailed and wiped everything down? Or was Marie maybe involved in the death of her boss? That's what I was kind of thinking. And there's some, that's a theory that we'll talk about. According to Front Page Detective, JB's personal possessions remained untouched. And he had a lot of valuables in the house. Cash, jewelry, he had paintings, like collections of paintings. All of that was still there. So... While robbery was an early theory, we know that's not the motive because nothing was taken. Right. Now, 
we shouldn't be surprised to hear that he had a lot of women's underwear in a drawer at his house. But knowing what we know about him, I think that's the character. So he's sleeping with women and then keeping their underwear? Yeah, almost kind of like um, that front page detective article said that they were almost like trophies from his sexual conquests. Mm, this could have been the work of a scorned woman. Well, that's a theory as well. Mm. Because he also, he had that, the undies in a drawer. Then he also had a list of women that he had slept with <gasps> and he categorized them by name, number, what? and personal notes. <gasps> so he's like a player player. What kind of personal notes like whether they were good in bed or that's what i would think or maybe appearances so it could be but if they found it i was gonna say it could be one of these women who you said earlier a lot of them were married maybe they were worried that their secret would get out or a husband who's thinking oh he slept with my wife but then you'd think mm -hmm. that they would have taken the book Unless they maybe didn't know that the book existed. Oh, could be. That could be true. And, you know, he did give some women keys to his house. Which that's true. could be normal. But when Maybe they left bed, the door open. That's true. And then we wouldn't have forced entry because they had a key. Yep. Oh, but he slept with up to a thousand women. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And they did work their way through the list of names but i read in all police had over a thousand suspects and i, I don't believe think it, it was just women in that book but yeah they had a lot of people that they were suspecting wow and that brings us to theories okay ready so keep in mind people listening sleuth hounds that these theories are speculative they have not been definitively proven, as are most of the theories that we discuss right. each week. Some are ones that I have thought up on my own. So take them with a grain of salt as we begin discussing okay. these. <laughs> so one could have been a robbery gone wrong. And as I talked about, this was one of the earlier theories was that JB was killed during a robbery attempt. Um, you know, people knew he was a very wealthy man. They knew he kept large sums of money at his house. This theory suggests that a burglar might have broken into his home to steal money or valuables and that he was killed in the process. There are a couple things that I have issue with in this theory. Okay. One is nothing was, nothing was taken from the home. So maybe they killed him and got scared and left. Maybe mm. we could say that. Mm -hmm. But another problem I have with this one is there was no forced entry. So that means... If he let them in, if they were, if they weren't already in the house when he got home, or if they didn't come into the house with him, right. that means he had to let them into his home. Yes. And my problem with this is that not only was JB a sex icon, he was also a fashion icon. So there would be no way mm, in my I mind see where you're going with this that he would answer the door toothless and wigless no he would I don't not care. And unless it was you know like if you came over to my house and i didn't have makeup on then right. that would be different right but i think even if someone had rang the doorbell and it is whatever time in the morning he is at least gonna throw on his wig and put mm -hmm. in his teeth before he goes to let that person in agreed and i just and that didn't happen so any theory that we're going to talk about that it's potentially somebody he did not know, I'm going to automatically say no to. I understand why you say that. Yeah, and I would agree. So, robbery going wrong is a no for me. Yeah, me too. Another theory that people talk about is that maybe it was a professional rivalry or a gambling debt. He was a very well-known bridge player. Remember, he writes books on it. So, right. maybe one of the best of his time. This theory proposes that his murder could have been related to this bridge rivalry. So maybe over a reputation, maybe he beat somebody that was considered unbeatable or something like that. 
Didn't know or, the world of bridge was that dangerous. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I didn't know that bridge could get that intense. That seemed right. a little bit extreme to me. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess if that's your life, you know, you're a professional poker player, you're a professional bridge player, then you probably would take things like that pretty seriously. Maybe he stole secrets and strategies off of somebody and published it as his own. Oh. And they were like, He's no, like, no, yeah. you're not taking my me. credit. Yeah. And he was known to gamble. And some had speculated that maybe he had debts he couldn't pay. But if we're going with this financial issue or even maybe the reputation issue, I just, I just don't see it. One, the financial thing, if he had trouble paying his debts, then why didn't he like sell his yacht? Or some of his paintings that were in his house. Or why didn't they steal it to recoup some of their money? Yeah. And because if he owed debt, they probably could have got whatever he owed them from things inside his home. So Right. I don't know. Yeah, that one's out for me too. Another one that is probably also going to be out for you because it is for me as well is that maybe he died at the hands of the mafia or organized crime. I just haven't really seen a connection to the mafia in the story that you've told yet. The only thing I can maybe think about is, you know, he was in that really high social circle. And maybe that kind of drew attention from crime bosses. But why? I don't know. And if, like, and what what did they have to gain? Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't get anything from killing him other than killing him. So what would have been the purpose? Right. Plus, I just haven't seen the connection. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about the next theory, too, is just a random act of violence. There's some that think this was just a random targeted thing, like they picked somebody from random. But again, I go back to how did they get to the house? He was not going to let somebody in. And like, what is the motive here? Like, why target this particular man who other than sleeping with so many women probably didn't have that many enemies yeah well and you know i'm thinking like you said if it's random he's definitely not going to let somebody in in his current state that he's Mm -hmm. found in but also you would think i would anyway that if it's random if they're committing the violence you would think most people don't have his wealth so you would think that they would have taken something yeah like i'm not like if i'm going to kill somebody even if it's random and I'm just there to kill them. But then and I look around, they have $10,000 sitting there. Yeah. I might grab something. Yeah, because what's robbery after you've already committed yeah. a worse crime? So, I don't buy that one either. I think, like, what you said earlier is probably most plausible. And that's the final, I guess, theory slash theories that we're going to talk about is was one of the women in his life connected to his death or the spouse of a woman in his life yes and front page detective made some interesting points regarding those theories or possibilities apparently after separating from his wife in 1916 he began pushing for a divorce in 1920 because presumably he was wanting to settle down with viola oh So, on May 27th, Helen, the almost ex-wife, received a letter from her husband requesting that they finally dissolve their marriage. Like, we're getting divorced. Okay. And she had agreed to that after receiving the letter. She just was wanting to delay the, the divorce until her lease ran out in October. I don't know really why he was paying for her house he was paying the lease um but she wanted to stay there until the lease ran out maybe just to give her time to find somewhere else to go oh maybe i read that he was also paying her around what would be twenty five hundred dollars a month in today's money just for different expenses that she may have wow but she was not pleased with that amount of money well i'm sure he had a lot more than that oh i'm sure plus she has a kid yeah. But she had said to, like, her friends that she just didn't know what to do without having servants around the house. That that $2,500 wasn't enough to 
pay for her to have servants and she just didn't know what to do. She's used to a different lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. So clearly she has a motive, right? Because mm. she wants this money and they have a son together. So if JB were to die, then her oh. son would inherit the family fortune. And he wouldn't be remarried to somebody and then change his will. Right. Mm. So could Helen have been so desperate for the money that maybe she would kill JB or hire somebody to kill him? He would have been comfortable enough with her, I think, to be in the house without all of his right. fine attire on. Yeah, because he doesn't need to impress her anymore. Exactly. But she claimed that she hadn't seen her husband since they were their initial separation in like 1916 and the police quickly removed her from the suspect list oh so they just believe her just because she claimed it happened and move on and as i mentioned earlier the parent plan was for jb to marry viola so you mentioned could like an ex-husband or a current husband have killed jb out of jealousy right and that's the idea here so viola's husband Victor von Schlegel. I don't know where that name is from, but sounds it like Schlegel? Germanic, German, maybe. Yeah. Um, but anywho's, he is the ex-husband of Viola, and his new fiance. So he's got a boo thing. But they were at the same show as JB and Viola on the night that oh. JB died. So he's seeing so, flaunted in front of him his ex mm -hmm. with her new man. Yeah. And I think people, that's just so, I don't even know the word. I guess like a double standard because it's fine for him to have right. a new fiance. Right. But um, people wonder if seeing her, her with JB kind of put him over the edge, flipped a switch for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then front page detective says this was a pretty popular spot for people in their social circle. So okay. it shouldn't really automatically raise suspicion. Mm -hmm. And people in that social circle probably ran into each other quite often because there were probably a select number of places they would go. Mm. Yeah. And that article said, quote, while no trouble was noted at the Ritz-Carlton, witnesses described some altercation at the New Amsterdam Theater. It seems that this disturbance was the subject of Viola Cross's call at 2.30, although she dismissed it as travolatory. Discounting the allegations of an argument, Elwell was said to have been in high spirits, end quote. Hmm. So there was some type of altercation that took place. Hmm. Or words exchanged, I guess we should say. Okay. So that leads us to the housekeeper, Marie Larson. And despite being ruled out as a suspect in the killing, there are some that think that she could have been involved in covering it up. Oh. See, I was thinking maybe she did it herself. Like maybe he had made That's what I thought inappropriate too. moves or whatever because she could have moved things and wiped away fingerprints because you talked about that earlier so and now it would you're be saying, okay for her fingerprints to be in the house exactly because she it. yeah nobody's gonna doubt that but now you're saying maybe maybe she did all of that but maybe she did it for somebody else yeah because there was evidence that she covered up for viola to help protect so i don't know necessarily if she covered up for Viola in regards that Viola committed the murder or just to help protect Viola's reputation. Because while the doctors were treating JB in the living room, she was actually hiding like a robe, a boudoir cap, and slippers that Viola had left so that they wouldn't be found. And this is per that front page article. And then, yeah, why would she do that? Unless yeah. she did feel... Like you, like you said, she needed to protect her or something. But why, though? And then that same article reported that Maria called Viola to let her know that the items had been hidden and that JB had been shot. Hmm. But she, like I said, was never looked into as a suspect. But again, just why hide the items? 
And is she is she just making the call to Viola in front of law enforcement so it looks like Viola didn't know? Or is she calling her in the other room and like whispering it, which makes it look even more fishy. Right. So could Viola have had something maybe to do with the death? But again, my question here is why? She would have had no claim to the money. She had nothing to gain. Right. So why? It would make sense if they were married yeah. and this happened. But they're not married yet. And he wouldn't have been sad if she she left. I mean, he has a thousand other women. Literally, he could call. So, like, right. one is not going to make a difference. Yeah. Like I did mention, police did look into that long list of women that JB had relationships with, but nothing came from those efforts either. Investigators couldn't find any evidence that he owed significant amounts of money to anyone. There were no leads in his sex life that they could follow up on. So we're just left wondering who killed him. What do you think, Allison? I, so part of me has the natural inclination to say that it was one of the women but the logical part of my brain says that because they were saying he was either shot from the hip or somebody crouching down, I maybe in the heat of passion, somebody would do that. But I feel like there would have been more than one shot. And so that almost makes me feel like somebody was looking at a gun or they were looking at a gun together. They're horse playing around or they're doing something because he was clearly drunk the night before and is probably still partially mm -hmm. drunk or hung over the next morning that they were playing around with it and that it accidentally fired and killed him and that they left in a rush. Uh, I, the, bullet on the table i don't know if maybe the maid did that part that does seem mm. odd that you would pause to do that but everything else makes me think maybe maybe an accident as we conclude our journey through the case of joseph elwell's murder the fog of time still shrouds the truth behind this chilling mystery Delving into the depths of the earliest 20th century intrigue, our investigation has unearthed a web of theories as intricate as the mind of the man himself. Was J.B.'s end a tragic outcome of love, driven by passions and jealousy that festered behind closed doors? Or did a ruthless criminal element, be it mafia or desperate gamblers, see in J.B. a vulnerable target, a pawn in their sinister games? As we navigated the labyrinth corridors of the bridge world, we encountered whispers of professional rivalries where the quest for supremacy led to dark consequences. Yet, could it be that JB's life was extinguished for reasons far more arbitrary, a random act of violence that forever altered the trajectory of history? These theories, like shadowy phantoms, remain forever elusive, flickering at the edges of our understanding. The saga of Joseph Elwell, a man of charm and mystery, echoes across the decades, inviting us to peer into the abyss where truth and speculation intertwine. As time marches on, one can only hope that new revelations, forgotten documents, or fresh perspectives might finally unravel the threads of this cold case. Until then, the legacy of Joseph Elwell lives on as a testament to the chilling enigma of an unsolved murder a riddle that defies the passage of time and continues to captivate the curious minds drawn into its haunting embrace. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. Love knows with Maggie and Allison. Whoop whoop. And Allison, we got a new five star review this week. Yes, I was super excited. It is short, but it's it was very, very short. Wonderful. It was wonderful. And it is by Zizzer Zazzer, and they wrote, "quote Not 
know-it-alls reading a script, end quote. Period. (laughs) Succinct, yeah, period. Emphatic. I know. And thank you, Zizzer Zazzer, because we do acknowledge with every case that we cover that there's a lot of information that still needs to come to light that we don't know. So we definitely are know-it-alls, but we definitely also care, obviously, to get all the Mm -hmm. details that we can because we know it means a lot to family. So thank you for that short but nice review. Yes. Also, because we can... Let's celebrate again the fact that Coffee and Cases is, for the second year in a row, a finalist for the Podcast Awards Best Female Hosted Podcast. Because that is a huge accomplishment. Definitely is. And we want to thank you guys again for those that voted for us in the first round. And we pray that if you were selected, you love us enough to vote for us in the second round also. I know. My fingers are crossed. Make sure that you check your email if you voted in the first round, Mm -hmm. including your spam folder, because it may have gone there, to see if you received an email from Podcast Awards for being chosen to take part in the final round of voting. And if so, we would appreciate so much your vote again. And maybe we can bring home the win this year because I believe that we can. I do too, especially if it means our listeners supporting us like they always do, because yes. I feel like we have such a backbone of supporters that we listen really to this do. show. Yeah. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuthhounds. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Um.